really excited to uh, be sharing with you tonight a little bit about, well, well you know, 25 minutes worth of uh, why did Jesus have to die? And um, yeah, I don't know about you, but uh, you've probably noticed if you've hung around churches and Christianity for long enough that, um, that the cross is, is really central um, to, to the church and what Christianity is. It's, it's kind of like the symbol or the, uh, almost the logo of, uh, of Christianity, but it, uh, for those of you who, who know or are aware of history, the cross is like a really torturous death for somebody. It was something that the Romans used to, to crucify enemies of the state. It was, a, uh, it was, a really, it was basically a public humiliation um, for, for whoever was uh, experiencing that. And um, yes, yeah, so, but, but we, as, Christian, as Christians, in Christianity, we've kind of made it like a, 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 a centerpiece of, um, of the faith. So I guess it begs the question to ask, why did Jesus have to die? Was there another way, or is there another way, that God could have gone about what he did and what he set out to achieve than sending his son to earth to die on a cross? Because um, Jesus makes it really clear through the Gospels um, that you know during his time in, on the earth with the disciples, he would constantly be uh, talking to them and telling them that his purpose was to die and then to be raised to life so that everybody who believes in him would have their sins forgiven and inherit eternal life instead of inheriting eternal death, which is ultimately um, the, the payment for, for sin, for evil, for wrongdoing in the world. And um, yeah, but like Jesus dying, like why was that the only way for God to make things right in the world? So, I guess the question that I ask is, why, why is it so important that we talk about this? You know, we're in this series, Big Questions, Real Answers, and I think it's really important that we understand or we are able to explain the reason for why did Jesus have to die, because I believe that if we don't know how to explain it, we run the risk of, of missing one of two, like, key characteristics or key fundamental qualities of who God is. Um, and I'll come back to those in a little bit. But um, first of all, I want to talk about my own sort of perception of God and sort of my, my I guess, my journey in, um, in figuring out who God is through reading the Bible as a younger person in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So um, I kind of struggled with the idea of the Old Testament God in that I kind of would read the Old Testament and it would be talking about, you know, this God who would um, who was in a relationship with his people, Israel, and, uh, you know, and they would stumble and fall, and so they would have to provide sacrifices to God, and then he would you know, be judging other nations and all that kind of thing. And then I'd read the New Testament and be reading about a God who sent his son to earth, and you know, he seemed to be full of love and mercy and sent his son to, to die for all of us. And throughout the New Testament, we see the disciples going out, spreading this message that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. All you have to do is believe in him. And for me, that was kind of a bit of a disparity between, you know, reading the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. Um, so, was it only in the New Testament that God became loving and forgave sins? And was it only because he sent his own son to die? Or is he the same God? It says in the Bible that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So, the more I think about it, the more I would wonder why. Okay, so if God is all-powerful, and it says in the Bible that he is why couldn't he just choose to forgive us? Why go through all the fuss of the cross and sacrifices and all of that stuff, Old Testament and New Testament? Why would he go through all that? 
Uh, it would seem, to me anyway, as a, as a younger person, it seemed really, uh, I guess, ancient or vengeful or kind of angry of God to be demanding sacrifices for the things that we did wrong, when if he's all-powerful, surely he could just choose to forgive us and just be merciful, or at the very least, forgive those of us who say we're sorry, who would go, okay, God, I admit I'm not all that great, Um, you know, please forgive me, and God would be like, okay, no worries, I'll I'll forgive you. yeah, so with all these questions, it, it, it can be very tempting as a Christian to just look at the, the life and the teaching of Jesus and kind of try and move past his death, because the deeper you drill into it, the, the kind of the more questions that come out of it. So I guess that's where I'm coming from tonight in terms of wanting to answer this question, why did Jesus have to die? Um, so in attempt to do that, I'm going to give three reasons, and, um, and these reasons are, are kind of, uh, I guess, a compilation of ideas and thoughts that have come from people much smarter than me, basically, from reading books and stuff like that, that hopefully c- try and summarize all of this in a, in a relatively short space of time. So, why did Jesus have to die? Uh, number one, because true forgiveness is costly. And if you've ever had to truly forgive someone in your life, you'll know that it's not something you can just decide to do. It's not something you can just turn on all of a sudden. Uh, I guess in an economic world, let's just talk about money because it's simple. Um, If you lend a friend a a car, your car, and they take it out and then they cause an accident and they cause a bunch of damage to your car and maybe someone else's, um, and your insurance refuses to cover it because you weren't the one driving, uh, then you've got two options. You can either get them to pay for the damage that was done to your car and to their car, or you can pay for the damage um, yourself. The cost uh, or the, the, the expense of the damage that was done doesn't just evaporate. Uh, you, someone's got to deal with it. It's either going to be you or that person. Um, now, the thing is, in a human world with human relationships and, uh, and you know, the, our complexities, it's actually really, really difficult to put a value on the damage that is done, you know, when somebody's reputation is tarnished or when a relationship breaks down or, uh, you know, anything like that happens to us in our lives, it's really, really difficult to try and put a value on the damage that was done. And, you know, it could be, uh, it, it could be an opportunity that was taken away from you. It could be uh, a way that you, you're, um, you were betrayed or something like that. And even if the person comes to you and says, look, I'm really sorry, I, I didn't mean it or whatever, it still doesn't take away that feeling of there's got to be payment here. There's got to, like, someone's got to pay for this. Um, and so this, when, when that happens to you, when an injustice happens to you, something bad happens to you, even if the other person says that, oh, look, I'm, I'm really sorry, you've you got one of two ways that you can respond. Um, it's really tempting to, to look for ways to make that person uh, suffer or you know, either by confronting them and, and bagging them out or maybe avoiding them, giving them the silent treatment, trying to, you know, smear their reputation. Um, and possibly, maybe, after a while of seeing them kind of squirm and suffer, then maybe you might start to feel a little bit better inside because you're like, okay, well, I feel like the world is squared again. I feel like we're even, so maybe I can move on. Um, but the problem is that in us that kind of response leads to us feeling uh, jaded. It can lead to us being really hard-hearted. And what can also happen is that when we come across situations or people 
that remind us of that person, then we're often tempted to tar them with the same brush and instantly assume that you know, they're going to hurt us in the same way um, because we've built up you know, this, uh, this, you know, all these barriers of resentment. Um, also, the other thing can happen when you respond like that, it, it encourages like a cycle of retaliation from them, right? And so it can go on and on and on. And uh, basically, there's never an end to the, the cycle of evil that has, that, you know, that has come upon you and you've participated in and kept it going. So that's one response. The second response is uh, you can forgive them. And honestly, that's a lot harder because forgiveness, uh, it means absorbing the, the cost of, of their actions to prevent that cycle of evil continuing in your own life or, or in someone else's. And if absorbing the cost of evil sounds pretty ugly and pretty dark, it is. It's really painful. How do you absorb the, the, the cost of evil? Like, that sounds terrible. And what I'm not saying is that, you know, you brush it all off and, uh, and don't hold that person accountable because, you know, making that person aware of, of their actions and their consequences is one thing. But if you're able to forgive that person, true forgiveness, it means that you have lost the need to see that person meet their just desserts. It means that you've lost the need to see justice done over that person, basically. And so the way that you go about forgiving that person then become you're motivated by the fact that you've been released from, you know, that, that cycle of evil. So, okay, okay, so let's backtrack. So with all that in mind, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just forgive us? Well, nobody just forgives anybody it's a huge, painful experience. It's a kind of death, in a way. But the good news is, is that it can lead to renewal and change in the other person's life. So when you choose to forgive somebody, and you absorb like the, the cost or the consequence of their actions upon you, you then release that person to be changed, to be renewed, to have the opportunity to become a better person. So, the cost, if you can imagine the cost of all the wrongdoing, the evil, the sin, the brokenness that humanity has done towards God and humanity has done to each other, you can imagine the global, like, cosmic cost of evil would just be enormous, like, huge, just incomprehensible. And that is a cost that God can't simply choose to ignore. It's part of his nature. When, when I said that there was uh, the potential to miss one of two parts of God's nature, there's his infinite love and his mercy, but then there's also his infinite holiness and his righteousness. So how do these things meet? That's where the cross comes in. Okay, so um, if any of you have ever done the Alpha Course... Um, and if you haven't done the Alpha course, then, you know, definitely take that opportunity. It's a really good um, atmosphere to discuss questions like this. Um, there's an illustration that they, that they use. So um, 
it's a really quick story. I'll try and summarize it best I can. There's two boys. They grow up together. They, uh, they enjoy a childhood together, playing together, and they become best mates. As time goes on, as teenagers in high school, they kind of start going two separate ways. Um, the, the first um, pursues an education and uh, becomes a lawyer and then becomes a judge. The other one um, sort of falls in with the wrong crowd and ends up pursuing a life of crime and eventually, years down the track, ends up getting convicted of a multiplicity of crimes and ends up before a court. And who would be standing judge over him but his, uh, but his friend? from childhood, and uh, they, they recognize each other, but of course the judge has a job to do, so he sentences the, um, you know, his criminal friend to you know, a, a pretty awful uh, fine, way beyond what, um, what he could ever afford to pay back. Um, but then, as his friend, he steps down out of the judge's podium and whips out his checkbook and actually pays the fine for the guy. And um, I think, like, I love that story, it's a great story, but um, when it comes to us as people, if we think about mercy, if we think about mercy being getting, uh, let's see, I, I always get mercy and grace confused, mercy is not getting what we truly deserve. And if we think about mercy and the way that we as people work, um, in this world, mercy is always given at the expense of justice. In the story of these two boys that grow up together and then the judge that says, okay, well, I've got to sentence you, here's your fine, but I'm going to pay it for you. In that world, if you could imagine, if that really happened in real life all over the world, what kind of world would we live in? Because all of a sudden, you've got these people that are just kind of willing to give other people a second chance in the justice system when, you know, these people have killed other people, they've, you know, there could be a multiplicity of crimes there, but what kind of world would we live in if, uh, you know, if all the judges were just merciful and keen to give people a second chance so they let them off the hook all the time? Um, it just wouldn't work out. So the problem for us then in answering why did Jesus have to die, how can a God who is supposed to be all that is good, you know, completely righteous and holy, how is he expected to just shrug off all the wrongdoing and injustice in the world? What kind of world would we live in if the circumstances, uh, or what kind of world would we live in if, if the consequences of breaking the law were just excused willy-nilly by judges so that they could be merciful? Who would pay the price? The difference is that God being both all-loving and all-merciful and all just, all righteous, and all holy, is that God gives, he, he didn't exercise mercy at the expense of justice, he exercised his mercy to us through his justice. So, God by nature, being merciful and loving, but also holy and righteous, and um, I think it's interesting, the reason that we hate evil, the reason that we arc up so much when we see um, you know, pedophiles and rapists and whoever getting away is because we're made in the image of God. God hates evil. Like, at his core, he hates evil. He's everything that's not evil, and he absolutely hates it with a passion. And that's why, um, that's why we react the way that we do to evil in the world. So, circling back to what I said before about forgiveness. So, if, if we want to forgive someone for their wrongdoing to us, we have to absorb the debt of their wrongdoing and, and, in a way, suffer a kind of death so that they can have a shot, though that person is released and has an opportunity to be changed or to be renewed, right? 
So, if that's the case, is it so hard to believe that when a holy and righteous God decided to forgive us instead of punishing us for all our wrongdoing, both, you know, to him and to each other, that he would go to the cross in the person of Jesus and die there. You know, on the cross, God was exercising this costly forgiveness on like a whole universe sort of scale. He was, he was honoring both parts of who he is. He was honoring his, you know, his love and his mercy, but also his justice, which says someone's got to pay for all this. And in that moment when Christ was hanging on the cross, he absorbed the, all the evil of all the wrongdoing that, that we people on this earth have generated. Okay, so reason number one, why did Jesus have to die? Because forgiveness is costly. Number two, because real love is a personal exchange. So I'm going to speed this up a little bit, but think of it this way. If God is a God of love, it stands to, it stands to reason that, that real love is going to be a personal exchange. You can't fully love someone unless you're willing to get, you know, get down on your knees and get involved in their mess. Um, let me give you some examples. Let's say that, uh, let's say like a friend or family member was like in trouble with some secret agents or like a government or something and they were, you know, being hunted down and they came to you for, for shelter or for help. Um, and, uh, and you know, you're sitting there with them at your door desperately asking you to hide them in your basement. You know that if you don't help them, that person, yeah, they're probably going to die and that's going to be on your head. But if you do help him, now you're running the risk, right? If you do, then you, who are previously safe and secure in your house, now you're putting yourself at risk. So the choice you have to make is it's going to be either him or it's going to be you. Um, and it's honestly not quite as dramatically, that's like a movie kind of thing, but not quite as dramatically, but it's the same with parenting, right? Parents, parents, they love their kids so much that they're willing to give up their own freedom and independence so that they can take time, invest in their kids so that those kids can grow up to be independent and free. And when, those parent, and when parents don't take that time, then you end up with like, kids that have all kinds of like, over-dependence and all kinds of other issues because the, that, that exchange didn't take place. The parents weren't willing to go, here's some of my independence and freedom so that I can you know, fully build you up so that you can be independent and free one day. I guess that's a bit of a personal note, just becoming a dad. So, all life-changing love towards people with serious needs requires this like, personal exchange. It requires this substitutional uh, sacrifice, if you will. And on the cross, Jesus chose to identify uh, with us. He gave up his his being God, being perfect, being holy in heaven, he gave that up to identify with the oppressed, with the suffering. And like we were singing about and like Jesse was sharing, he was the suffering servant that came to identify with all of the pain and oppression and suffering that we experience here on this world. And by doing so, that culminating in the cross of him dying a criminal's death, he kind of turned the values of the world upside down. And, and this is what um, is called, the, this is what's like the pattern of the cross. Through Jesus on the cross, 
God showed us what real love should be, what real power should be. He wins through losing, he triumphs through defeat, he achieves power through weakness and service. And, you know, Jesus was fully aware that this was the reason that he came, to make this personal exchange. It says in um, John chapter 10, verse 17 to 18, um, Jesus is saying, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, uh, so yes, reason number one, because forgiveness is costly. Reason number two, because, pers- uh, because real love is a personal exchange. Reason number three, because without true mercy and true justice, there's really no hope for anyone. And this is why the, the, the cross is so central to Christianity. It represents the two parts of God's nature and where those two met, where those two are connected. See, without Jesus dying on the cross, there would have been no opportunity for any of us as humans who exercise our free will, we choose how we want to live our lives, there would have been no opportunity for us to live in a relationship with a holy and righteous God because we've all done stuff wrong. You know, whether you're a serial killer or just somebody that got jealous at someone, We've all done wrong, and God sees wrong as evil. He can't stand it. So the cross is the only way that these two sides of God, his love and his mercy, and his holiness and his righteousness and his justice could possibly meet. You know, we all deserve the consequences of evil as they've worked themselves out in the world. And we only have to, you know, turn on the news or scroll through Facebook to see the results of of all of our evil, all of our... um, yeah, all of our wrongdoing. But Jesus died so that whoever acknowledges their own wrongdoing and believes that God is who he says he is, both merciful and loving and just and holy, and accepts the sacrifice that he made, can be saved. Okay, if you hang around Christianity long enough, you hear that quite a bit. You know, believe in Jesus so that you can be saved. And then the question in my mind, always comes up, saved from what? And yeah, if, if, you, know, if you haven't, um, if, if nobody's ever taken the time to explain it, it can be really weird. Oh, okay, well, I need save, saving from what? Well, it gets pretty grim here, but saved from the destruction of evil. Honestly, saved from the destru- destruction of evil. God is holy and he is righteous and one day he's going to destroy all the evil once and for all. But, but, oh, thank goodness for the but. God is also merciful and loving, which is why Jesus had to die, so he could separate us, the people that he loves, from the evil that he hates. On the cross, God defeated evil. He took away its power from our lives, but at the end, God's going to destroy evil. And the cross is the only way that God could make this happen. So for me personally, like I take great comfort and assurance that while I've sinned, I've I've done wrong and I've contributed to the evil in this world, God still loves me and he's made a way for me to be forgiven. 
Um, but he's also made a way for the consequences of my sin, my contribution of evil to this world. He's made a way for that to be destroyed as well. Um, and so we're going to come into a time of communion really shortly. Um, and I guess communion in, you know, in the reason that Jesus asks us to do this is to remember why he died on the cross. So um, if I can ask the team to kind of, you know, come through and, and distribute communion... Um, there's the, of course, there's the passage in, in Mark where um, Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, uh, it says in, chap- uh, in chapter 14, verse 22 to 24, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it for this is my body. And he took up a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it. Then he said, this is the important bit. This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. So as the communion goes round, um, I just want us to look at this question one more time. Why did Jesus have to die? And look at it from God's perspective. Why did Jesus have to die? Thing is, even Jesus himself was asking this question the night that he was betrayed, the night that he was uh, arrested and the day he was going to be put on trial, Jesus was asking himself this question. He was saying, God, is there any other way? Is there any other way that we can do what we've set out to do here? And the reality is there wasn't and there isn't. Jesus would have to die on a cross for us. And I think it's really interesting and really fitting that the events of Jesus' trial all point to this purpose. Um, put it this way. There were, you know, there's people involved. There, um, the people that were involved in convicting Jesus of, uh, of his crimes, they're all humans, all, in, you know, um, all enacting their own free will, but they're playing out a, a story that God had foretold from the very beginning. He had it in mind the whole way along. And it was God's plan of forgiveness. You know, Jesus is brought to trial by these religious leaders and he stands, he's standing before Pilate, the the Roman governor, who is basically the final say as to whether this guy lives or dies. And, uh, And Pilate, he's standing there, he's got his own stuff going on, he's got a country to run. And in an attempt to uh, sort of pacify the mob that, that are there, that are trying to get Jesus executed, um, in an attempt to, yeah, please them, maybe make a few friends, um, and also give them a chance to see Jesus' innocence. Uh, he, he plays out, he brings out a, a, a criminal, Barabbas. And this whole personal exchange thing is like, could not be more real than what happens in those next few moments. Barabbas comes out, he's an infamous murderer and He's uh, like, you know, a big enemy to pretty much anyone in the, in the Roman Empire. And Barabbas is standing on one side. Jesus is standing on the other. And Pilate asks the crowd, who am I going to release? Who do you want me to release to you? This innocent guy that you call king or Barabbas? And in that moment, the crowd that were compelled by the the religious leaders, they cry out, release Barabbas. Let the 
disobedient, sinner, murderer, go free. Let the guilty guy go free. And that's us. In that moment, that exchange happened. There was Jesus, sentenced to die by Pilate, because the crowd said, let the, let the guilty guy go free. That's where all of us are in reality. And, you know, Pilate responds, okay, well, you want to release Barabbas? What do you want me to do with this guy? What do you want me to do with Jesus? And they all say, crucify him. Crucify God's innocent son. Crucify the, the suffering servant that we talked about or that we sang about in that song. So just as we take communion and, um, yeah, like if this is something that you're not used to um, or, you know, is foreign to you, that's okay. You can, um, you know, just think about what all of this means for your own life. But, yeah, as followers of Jesus, we're called to, to do this, to remember both the, um, the result of the cross, which was that costly forgiveness that God forgave us, but also to remember the pattern of the cross, that... I guess that reversal, that personal exchange that God made for us. So I'm going to pray and then we'll take communion together. Father, um, I just thank you, for, I thank you for the cross. There's so much more, there's so much more to it than, than what I could possibly try and get across in, uh, tonight. But Father, I pray that the wonder of the cross, that we would never lose it, that we would never... Um, that we would never uh, try and dismiss it as insignificant, but we would always come back to it as, as the point where you, a loving and merciful God, and also a holy and righteous and just God, became, uh, became flesh and exchanged himself for us. I just pray that as we remember you, as we remember the sacrifice that you made, that you would stir in us once again that you would compel us towards forgiveness of others because we have been forgiven of so much. And God, we hold on to the hope. We hold on to the amazing hope that one day you will destroy all evil once and for all and you will restore all things to, to beauty, to, um, to, to a state of perfection. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.